Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, friends, and welcome to A Little More Good the podcast where myself, Dean Morris, or Deaner, and my good pal, Zach Berman of The Juice Truck, explore themes that light us up. Things like human potential, coexisting with our planet and its inhabitants, and the fascinating area where wellness, mindfulness, sustainability, movement, business, and our own evolution and adventure intersect. A Little More Good is inspired by community and our collective potential. It is inspired by those that have walked this path before us, both locally and globally. Our mission is to connect intentionally and genuinely with the goal of planting seeds that foster growth and help us all discover the fullness of our own human potential. So join us as we have fun and meaningful conversations centering on human stories that inspire us to get out and live full, healthy, and meaningful lives. Our intention is to create dialogue that is not only interesting to listen to, but inspires you to take what you've learned through the conversation and apply it to your own life in a meaningful way. So let's get to it, and together we can create a little more good. Hey guys, I'm here with the Dean. Hey, hey. Dean Morris. And uh, we're flipping the script a little bit this week. Um, you all know Dean as the co-host of the podcast, but today we're going to dive, dive deep and uh, get to know the Dean a little bit. Here we go. Uh, Dean's kind of a throwback uh, to times past and the fact that you can't really... Put, put a pin to exactly one hat that Dean wears. He's he's a pastor. He's a runner. He's a husband and a father. Uh, he's, you know, manages businesses like the juice truck. <laughs> 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 he, 
he's kind of a renaissance man in 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 uh, in, in many ways. So uh, here we go. Welcome, Dean Morris, to the to your podcast, <laughs> yeah, to our to the, to the collective us. To be no, it's awesome. Uh, when you first said we should do we should do a conversation and like focus on you, I was like no, but then I realized like people who might tune in to listen because they're connected to the juice truck would know you and Ryan and maybe some of the guests even, but they'd be like, who is this? Like, who's this other voice in our head? Yeah. So then I thought, Oh, you know, maybe it kind of makes sense to like introduce myself to everyone. So it is good to be here. Welcome. Welcome Welcome to your space as well. We're recording this in Dean's co-work space. Yeah, that's right. If you're ever in Steveston and you need a co-work space, check out the hub. Come on by. Yeah, the Stevenson Hub. We got a beautiful space, yoga studio, thirty five hundred square feet of magic for co work. Got a couple, uh, yeah, church groups that meet here or or Zoom meet from here, and beautiful yoga studio and a whole bunch of other stuff. So yep, yeah. he's good. I'm looking at the mountains from the windows here. That's right. Um, so you know, rewinding things back, obviously. And we might have touched on some of this on a previous podcast, but I, I first connected with you, uh, whether you knew it or not, on the basketball courts uh, when you were the, the dominant forward of uh, the Camby, uh, Camby Crusaders. Crusaders. What a name. What a name. Oh, might have to change that one. Seriously, I'm surprised it's still there. Yeah. Like, anyway. I'm surprised with a lot of sports teams. Like, you know, I feel like... Every other hockey, basketball, football teams like appropriated somebody else's culture with their name. But, right. Yeah. But uh, that's that's, uh, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you're the forward of the Canby basketball team, which was a very good basketball team. You guys were were one of the best in the city. Um, I just remember like you were a hard guy to play against. You're you know you had those post moves. Yeah. You're strong on the boards. And then fast forward, you know, we kind of reconnected maybe a decade later through, yep. through my sister. And, and now we're, we're podding together, juicing together, running together, yeah. planning the future of the, the past and, and future together. That's right. Time traveling. <laughs> it's been so good. It is such a wild ride to think like growing up that way, right? We, we only knew each other as like kind of adversaries on the court. Yes. And then here we are and like become good friends and doing all this cool stuff together in the world yeah doing layups together versus against each other yeah that's right (laughs) um okay so um we'll probably get into the the multi-layers of of yourself but um you know one thing that often stands out and uh maybe was surprising to me at first is is kind of your your faith-based leadership your your life as a pastor right um so going back to, to high school you didn't grow up with Christianity being a, a big part of your life, right? Yeah, not a part at all, actually. So I was, uh, my parents, it wasn't, you know, church wasn't anything we ever went to or did. Like, I can remember going to a church for a funeral service one time. And I think it was like on the island or something. And it was the first time I'd ever been in a church. And there's like the big guy at the front with the robes and you know, I guess was I, in, in my child mind, I was like, so I guess, is that like God or like what's going on? And it was like stuffy and, you know, you're a kid and you don't really get it. You don't want to sit still. Um, but it just seemed more scary and uncomfortable and intimidating than anything else. And 
I remember growing up, like I had a good family situation. You know, my parents were really supportive and supported me through sports and school. And I just remember thinking like religion and church and this is like for people who are weak in life and like need a crutch to kind of like help them through. So I didn't have like, I wasn't anti, you know, religion or anything like that. But I just always was like, it's just not for me. Like I don't need it. My life is good. Uh, I'm fulfilled. Um, and yeah, I just, it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere in the orbit of my reality growing up. Interesting. Yeah. That's so wild. Like, um, I think just like how we judge, judge things and put people into, into different boxes with our, with our projections, you know, when I, I had my preconceived notion of what I thought a a pastor looked like or Mm. or church or or Christianity or, or even religion looked like and. And I've been really grateful for getting to know you because you've kind of broken down a lot of those stereotypes that I was carrying myself. Right. Um, you know, for those that can't see, Jeannie's a pretty hip guy. <laughs> Lululemon ambassador. You know, I would say fashion influencer in the running community. Oh. Um, not, not the image that I, I perceived when I thought of, you know, Christianity or pastors. I, I kind of thought of more, you know, the Pope. Yeah, yeah, to- totally, right? Well, that's the thing, even for me, man, like when I first uh, started coming around friends that I-, I met and they were like Christian, they went yeah. to church and stuff. In my mind, what I imagined was like what you often see on TV is like the big ornate Catholic churches where there is like the guy with the cool hat and the, the big robes and yeah. he stands at the front and like speaks in Latin and the people stand up and then they sit and they kneel and then he gives people a cookie and like, what's going on here? Yeah. This is what I imagined yeah. like as church. And so you're not wrong. And even the thing about like stereotypes, yes. right? Like, oh, you'd look at someone like me and be like, you're not like a quote unquote typical pastor. And that's true, but I, I also think that like the stereotype of a typical pastor is a stereotype for a reason. Mm. And like without throwing shade at people, like there there are a lot of people who you meet them and you can almost tell. And then you find out like later through conversation, like, oh, that person is like a pastor or like works in churches or whatever. And you're like, oh, yeah, like I kind of knew it based on these little cues or whatever. Right. Like, but you're not going to catch me wearing like a tucked in (laughs) polo shirt with like khaki pants or something like that's just never going to (laughs) happen. Dress aside. There's a lot of stuff that's different, too. But yeah, I don't fit the mold. I don't think. Definitely not. Not the mold that I, I perceived anyways yeah so growing up uh this wasn't something that you know your parents passed down to you or that your family passed down um how did you start your journey on this path yeah uh that's that's a really good question um it started in when i was in high school so we talked about like the basketball thing and the coach of our basketball team was was a christian guy and he was like just a wonderful human. Like I, I hadn't known, even to this day, like I, I don't know someone quite as dynamic um, and at times just like wild and really fun, uh, this, this character. And he, um, he really like showed me a new kind of picture, similar. Like I was yeah. like, oh, that's not what I thought like Christianity or someone who is like a, a Bible Christian person would be like. Yeah. Because uh, he's very just like full of life and an advocate for anyone and everyone, just like wanted people to succeed and be their best. And so like really a great coach. Um, 
but just also fundamentally a great human. And so, you know, I remember he, we got into like the finals for the Vancouver districts and we were playing out in North Vancouver. And before the game, he was like kind of giving us this pep talk in the locker room. And it was like the last game. So if you lose, you're done. Like you go home and if you win, you can move on. And and that year they had provincials for grade nines. And so if we won the game, we would get into provincials, which was unheard of. Like a little team from Richmond, like doesn't make it right. Um, and I just remember him saying to us after kind of the pep talk, he's like, listen, he's like, I always tell you guys like never lose your last game because then you go all the way to the end, right? Yeah. So he's like, we have that mindset. We're out there to win. But he's like, you guys need to know that no matter what happens, he's like, I think you're all amazing humans. He's like, I love each one of you guys, and I pray for you. Like, I pray for you guys. And I remember like, what? Because like nobody had ever said that to me before, let alone in like a pep talk for a, for a game, like in the yes. moment of like hype everybody up. Yeah. It's like getting all like super like serious and spiritual and like, just saying all this stuff. And that just like stuck with me so much. Like, and I even remember during the warmups, like thinking like, what? I don't even, like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. But it just, it meant something to me. And so, you know, you fast forward a couple of years later and I was doing this project in school and we had to research our heroes. And I was always big into like social justice. Yeah. And ever since I was a kid, I just had this desire for like fairness and equity and like for people to treat other people with kindness and to to advocate for people who needed help and like I even I even got tussled a few times in elementary school standing up for friends right, right. and uh, um, so I came to this project uh, later in high school and you know I researched these heroes so my heroes that I wanted to research was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. yeah in Gandhi yeah. because I looked at those two guys and I was like, they transformed their world and, and collectively our world, but immediately in their, in their kind of spheres of influence, they transformed everything that was normal uh, by leading these peaceful, nonviolent revolutions anchored in justice and equity and seeing people for their inherent I would say, like, God-given value. Yes. And that really resonated with me. So I I chose them as my heroes. And then what was really cool is as part of the project, we had to, like, understand or research, like, who were the heroes of your heroes? So who were the people that kind of landed in the footnotes of their story as being, like, influences or, you know, people that inspired them? And both... Gandhi and Dr. King had Jesus as someone that they like were inspired by. And obviously so for the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was Christian. And so Jesus was like a, maybe a necessary footnote for his story, but it really surprised me that like Gandhi would have noted Jesus as this person. And one of the reasons why he noted him was because of this way he led a nonviolent revolution that, um, crossed social and religious boundaries of what was appropriate or what was proper or what was, you know, um, allowed at the time. And Jesus crossed those lines to value people and to go to the oppressed or to the marginalized or to the outcast or to, you know, to use like a Christian phrase to the least of these, right. Kind of the people on the margins of society. And so 
Gandhi looked at that and said, I love this. I love this about Jesus. There's a lot of stuff that he might have like had um, contestation with. And certainly uh, Gandhi had some things to say about followers of Jesus, which resonate deeply with me as well. (laughs) Um, One of my favorite quotes was uh, Christians are, are often like a stone. They sit in this stream Right? It's like a, they're like a stone sitting in a stream. It's, it's running all around them and they're completely soaking wet and they're, they're literally, literally immersed in this beautiful flow that's going around them. But as a rock, they're not absorbing anything. And when I look at the church in North America, I feel like Gandhi was speaking very poignantly and perhaps prophetically about people who are immersed in the culture Right. of church and Christianity, but aren't absorbing anything. Any of the teachings. Yeah. And so anyway, that's kind of a divergent uh, bit of the story. But So I found, I found these guys, heroes of mine. They both had Jesus as a footnote in their story. So it just like sparked my curiosity because I hadn't ever gone. I didn't know the stories. Like I knew allegedly he was born at Christmas time and, you know, Santa, he was like Santa's nephew or something. Like I didn't know, right? <laughs> the, the Easter bunny, like he had the yeah. pet Easter bunny because something about Easter and Jesus, but like chocolate is more important. The bunny traveled the desert with them. Something, right? <laughs> so like all of these narratives, because I didn't have it growing up, like I had no idea. Yeah. And so I just got really curious about, about this character. So I went, they were really like the only Christian adult that I knew and trusted was my basketball coach. Yes. So I remember like one day after practice or something, I, I just said like, you know, I think I need to like, I want to learn more about this guy. Yeah. And he was like, oh, like, oh, okay. Like kind of surprised because it's not a question you usually get from anyone, let alone like a high school student. After basketball practice. Yeah, who's like more interested <laughs> in like, how do I like date this girl or like yeah. whatever, right? How do I work on my jump shot? It's like, yeah, tell me more about this guy. And so he just like pointed me in some some good directions. Then even after that, it took like a long time for me to kind of get over the fact that I, I understood like religion and faith as more of like a crutch in life than something like that's a, a necessity, Yes. right? Like it's like an optional upgrade if you need it, but it's not something that's like foundational. Took me a while to kind of get there. Um, but that was like the origin of how I kind of stumbled, literally like stumbled my way into this was through pursuing what I was already wired to pursue, which is like social justice and, you know, seeing people for who they are and, and fully believing that each person on this earth has tremendous immeasurable value. And we should, as peers, as other humans, like we should honor that and respect that and where that's being violated. We need to like work to correct that violation. And then when I started discovering this is what Jesus' message was fundamentally about, I'm like, oh, okay, it doesn't seem like I have to like turn my brain off or like <laughs> become, become something that I'm not yes. to embrace this. And that was like the slow kind of like movement for me towards embracing the teachings of Jesus as like a way of life. So, um, you know, a lot of the things that you do, including how you you lead as a, you know, a spiritual Christian leader in the community are kind of rebellions uh, to the kind of mass culture of those, those practices, like um, how you lead religion, how you run. You know, we, we've talked in other conversations about rebellion, but can you talk, talk of um, 
you know, Jesus the rebel? Yeah, yeah, the rebel rabbi. Um, I think it's really interesting that so much of what we know about Jesus culturally, like even if people haven't been to church, like we have some awareness. So much of that is almost more true uh, to who he was than like what is often presented in church circles. So there's like these videos, you can find them on YouTube where it's like they're done by like Christian organizations. So they're kind of cheesy. Most, most Christian productions are <laughs> kind of cheesy, <laughs> but they, uh, they go around on the street and they ask people like, yo, what do you think about Jesus? And these are just like random people like on the streets of London or New York or whatever. And they're kind of like surprised that someone on their morning commute is like with a video camera and a microphone saying like, tell me what you think about Jesus. And yeah. most people will be like, oh, if they're religious, they'll be like, ah, oh, like, you know, he's the son of God. I'm like, yeah, he's, he's my Lord and Savior, whatever. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. They're just like fully yeah. do it. And then other people are like, oh, he was like a religious teacher and this and that. But like the, the themes that emerge is like people have this understanding that Jesus was like, he was up to something in the world. Yeah. And oftentimes people's responses to, to what he was up to and to him as a figure are positive. Whether or not they would profess any kind of belief or connection to this character, they're positive responses. And then the flip side is those same video people, that, that crew would go out and they would ask people on the street, hey, what do you think about like the church? Or what do you think about Christianity? Yeah. And the responses are almost like unanimously negative. Unless, of course, it's like a churched person. Um, the average, you know, American, Canadian, new, like a uh, person from England, whatever, the responses towards the church and Christianity as a religion are negative. But the responses towards Jesus would almost always err towards the positive side. So to me, that's really fascinating because it says something about the state of the church in the world. The organization and, versus the... Right. This the, radical, what should be like a radical fringe movement. Yes. Of people. Because that's how it started, right? Yeah. People... I mean, I mean Christians, not to diverge too much, but like in early history, Christians were heavily persecuted. Oh, totally. You know, because it was not a, a mainstream um, or accepted, you know, belief system. Not at, at all. Because... You know, we forget that, you know, Jesus was a Jew, yeah. a Jewish man. Exactly. Um, Which is like, how could you ever forget that? Yeah. But then you say that in church circles and people are like, oh, oh yeah. It's yeah. like, there's almost like this amnesia. Yes. Like Jesus was fully Jewish and he had no intention starting a of starting a religion, like yeah. a new religion. Yeah. Like it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to come and like plant my flag and we're going to have this brand of like whatever. It, it, he was just calling people like prophets for hundreds of years before him in the tradition of Judaism were calling their people to a better way of living, which is inclusive of the outsider, which makes space for difference, which allows for generosity and grace and mercy. And Jesus was just like, the most amped up on this message. Yeah. But there were people literally for hundreds and hundreds of years before him saying the exact same thing. And spoiler alert, they all got killed for it. Yeah. So like 
when people say, oh, you know, Jesus came to start a new religion, I was like, well, no. And, and look at his story. Like, regardless of what you believe about him, like, there's lots of evidence that he, he showed up in Jerusalem for Passover and was executed by the religious elite and the state. Yes. Right? Like, think Guantanamo Bay. Like, he was an enemy of the state, paraded and executed like a criminal of the worst kind. And you don't suffer that fate by being like a good religious boy. <laughs> right? Yeah. So he was perpetually opposed to like state and big religion that that prioritized power, political power especially, over the power of simply like being with people and acknowledging that all people have worth and even the ones who are deemed as society as like outcast or different or the other, those are the people that we need to elevate the most. And this is the story that we see throughout the, the biographies that are recorded about Jesus. So the message was very inclusive, contrary to some of the, you know, messages that you see on the YouTube clips or Facebook clips of, you know, if you're not a believer, then, you know, hell's your destination yeah. kind of thing. Oh, man. It's just like, <laughs> it makes me cringe. I, I often wonder, like, I, get, I literally get so bad. I can't even watch that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because it doesn't do me any good to, like, yell at my screen. <laughs> but I'm like, I, I, I honestly, I wonder if the people who are, like, yelling at people have actually read the book they hold up when right. they yell at people. Because I'm like, if you have actually read that, you... Didn't absorb it. You, you, you didn't <laughs> absorb it. Like, you missed the whole point. It's like, okay, there's this great episode of Family Guy yeah. where um, Peter is, like, trying to get all this extra money. And so he's going to the doctor to get these, like, test injections so they like, he turns into a squirrel and then they like, he turns back and then he, they give him some other injection and then whatever happens, he turns back and then he goes to get injected with quote unquote, like the gay gene. Yeah. And he's like, well, how, how bad could it be? Like, I'll just like turn back after a while. Right. But then for the episode, like he, do, like he doesn't, yeah. they like don't know how to turn him back. So he's just going to like stay as like a, uh, like a gay man or whatever. And of course, Family Guy, like everything is played up and is just like wildly inappropriate. But there's this line that is so perfect. And when I, when I first watched it on TV, I saw it, I was, I, it floored me. So little Stewie is like sitting on the couch and then Brian the dog is next to him. And Peter walks through very flamboyantly because now he's like been injected with his gay gene. And Stewie's like, oh, Brian, it's just disgusting. Like, he's so appalled that his dad is now, like, you know, gay or whatever. And Brian's like, Stewie, like, what's the problem? It's not that big of a deal. And Stewie's like, Leviticus 13, 19, like, quotes some Old Testament Bible verse. And Brian says to Stewie, he's like, wait a minute. He's like, you're quoting scripture and you can't even read? And, and Stewie looks at Brian and says, welcome to America, Brian. <laughs> And, and I was like, that's it. Yeah. Like, that's it. There's this ignorance that, like, I don't need to know because, like, someone told me. Or right. I find it personally against my conviction or whatever. Yeah. And so, like, it has to be true that it's bad or whatever. Right? And so I think that there's so much where there's this, like, ignorance of the message of Jesus. Right. Which is radically inclusive. Like, arguably, the most inclusive loving message that has ever been shared and somehow it's been co-opted 
and turned to be this exclusive group where you have to meet these criteria or you have to be this way can't to be, be part of it. You can't be gay. You can't have other beliefs. And right. You can't have doubts. can't have doubts. You can't, yeah, yeah. You, you have to attend these gatherings to, in order to be here. Like, there's so many have-tos that have been laid on top of this thing, which was from its inception, a radically inclusive, grace-filled, messy as all get out, gathering of people who are on a journey, yeah. but were welcomed in, in whatever state they were. And the irony of him, as you mentioned, like, you know, being a man for the outcast in many ways is, is it's kind of laughable. I mean, laughable is not the right term, but it's ironic that the people that he was representing are often the people that are now excluded from, you know, church experience. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And like, to be honest, if I was someone who identified in any number of ways, I would look at a church, like a church community, and very, very quickly and readily understand, oh, they say everyone welcome, yeah. but I actually am not welcome there. Yeah. Based on language, based on dress, based on you know, who else is in the room yeah. that looks or doesn't look like me, right? And it can be very, very narrow without, I think, without intentional, like without an intentional, oh, we're going to be exclusive. But it's like a, the evaluation of like, wait, how, how are we presenting all this stuff? To whom are we presenting it? How is this safe for people? Is it safe for people? Right. A lot of those questions aren't asked. And then the question that is asked, especially now in the last decade or so by a lot of like mainstream evangelical churches is like, well, where is everybody? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I've been part of these conversations and I just like facepalm because they're legitimately curious and wondering, how come like people aren't coming anymore? Right. And I'm like, are you, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen what, what our PR is out there in the world for the last 25, 30 years? Yeah, it's not, not the best. No. Like if the church had have showed up during like the AIDS epidemic yeah. and cared for people, rather than ostracizing people because they were gay, we, we would not be in the same position we are now. But rather than choosing, like Jesus, yeah. to side with the marginalized, and not even like, let's, let's leave like groups out of it, just to care for people who are ill and need help. If the church had chosen to done that en masse, because there were a few in San Francisco, in like, um, you know, other parts of North America, there are churches that stood in the gap and said, we're here for you. Right. But en masse, it was a huge failure. They just turned their back to that community. Totally. Yeah. It's your own fault. Yeah. Right. This is the type of thinking. Or, or then it gets spiritualized and be like, this is God's punishment. Right. Which is abhorrent that that would be used that somehow we would know that God is punishing people for something, but that makes us feel better. Right. So we say it. We can exclude that group because that's God's will. Well, and if you, if you spiritualize things yeah. and say it's God's will that that's happening, guess who's off the hook? Yeah. You. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's very, it's a, it's a, it's a very dangerous um, way of spiritualizing reality that, that, somehow gives people permission in their own mind to then not do the things that Jesus himself did and that Jesus 
through his teaching is inviting people who claim to follow him yeah. to continue to do those things now. If you, if you are living in opposition to that, my friend, I'm sorry, but a Christian, you are not. <laughs> you, you simply can't make that claim about yourself. Right, right. So you um, kind of speaking along these lines, um, you know, you became a pastor and quite quickly you found yourself a leader of, you know, a, a large um, church organization. Right. Uh, one, uh, le- one of a few leaders. One yeah, of a few leaders. Definitely. Um, but then after years of being in that position, you, you left, you know, the possibly, you know, cozy position or, you know, a comfortable position that people work hard to, to achieve to, Mm -hmm. you know, pursue, um, your own, your own beliefs of what church should look like. Right. Um, what led you to, to leave that and what, what vision did you have for church that was different from the church that you're in or that, you know, many people experience. Yeah. Yeah. So it was definitely, uh, a way, way more of a kind of like traditional modern, modern traditional church experience. So like when I said I first experienced my first understanding of church was like cathedrals and priests and this very like, um, kind of liturgical style where you're following a, a, a structure of events that happen and then you're finished. The church that I found myself in was much more like a modern expression where um, people like we had people could just come as they were. It was very casual. Yeah. Uh, we had like a band, which yeah. eventually like I got involved in. I loved music and was was in bands throughout high school. And even after I right, did some some recording with some friends and that was feels like another lifetime ago now. <laughs> But music was always part of my life and so found my way into playing and then eventually took over leadership of the band. And so we had like this kind of, you know, soft rock, cold play sounding-esque band that like we would do do the stuff for. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, I, I love that. I couldn't say a bad thing about like that experience or, or that church. And in fact, uh, my dad, who still is like very skeptical about faith and everything, even though, you know, he, he loves me and embraces, you know, me as his son and this guy who's like chosen this path, but he's still so confused about it. One of the first things he said to me when I started going to this church was like, Hey, keep your brain turned on. Like if someone tells you to believe something, don't just like believe it. Yeah. Like think about it, ask questions, like look into it. And so I was like, okay, yeah, no, that's, that's totally fair. And like, I was kind of wired that way anyway. I was, I'm always a little bit like contrarian or just curious, maybe not contrarian, but very curious. So I'm not just going to accept something. I'm going to be like, yeah, but why? Yeah. Like, how did that happen? How, why would that happen? Like, that, that can't happen. And so I had all these questions. And then this church that I started going to, um, the pastor at the time, he would share his, his message, his sermon. And oftentimes he would raise more questions than he answered or would would answer a series of questions that ultimately led to like a bigger than question that lingered and it didn't always resolve. And like, it often wasn't wrapped up in 32 minutes with a neat bow Yeah. where it's like, okay, now and just like go about your way. And you know, that's how you live in the world. It's like really wrestling with what does it mean to be a person who one of the lines he often said was like has one hand, you know, on the newspaper. So you're engaged in the world and the other hand is like holding the scriptures and trying to make sense of like, what do these mean for life in the world now? 
And, um, yeah, so I just found, found myself into a stream that was really thoughtful and curious. And so it resonated with me and I, and I stayed, um, for man, well, almost two, two decades. Yeah. Cause I landed there like mid high school and then left. What was that? Like three years ago now. Yeah. So, and there wasn't any like bad reason for me to go. In some ways it was just like a growing up. Like I felt like I grew up in that church in a sense, even though I came to it later uh, as a, as a teenager, but there was this sense of like, it was time for me to move out. You know, it's kind of like living in mom and dad's basement and yeah. it was comfortable and it was nice. Cause like I could just walk upstairs and have supper kind of thing. Um, but I just knew that it was time to like, it was time to go like <laughs> to go buy my own toilet paper, you know, it's like <laughs> grow up and move out. And so, um, I had been, uh, taking a master's program through, uh, a university in California and that helped me like really solidify some of my thinking about like what church community could look like and that it doesn't look necessarily like a bunch of people in a big auditorium listening to one voice and like a soft rock band <laughs> that that in fact is like, that's one way, yes, but that is not the way, right. right? There are many ways. And again, for me, like it all comes back to like, how did Jesus do things? And he was very rarely in religious spaces. There's not a lot of stories, not the good ones anyway, that start out with like, and Jesus was in church one morning, right? Like he, he was definitely in the synagogue and taught, but like, that's the minor moments Everything major that happened, he was like out in the world. He was amongst the people. He was with the people. Yeah. And, and often with the people that weren't welcome to the religious gatherings. And so when I started looking at that, I was like, well, why am I spending all my time in this church building rather than being like with people where like that's where the action is. I'd way rather be with people than sit here and like play my guitar or whatever. Wait for them to come to you. Right. Or yeah, this, this logic of like, well, if we, if we do a really good show, yeah, they'll all come, yeah. which is like newsflash. No, nobody cares because as good as we were as a band, yeah. like Coldplay was better. <laughs> so like, I'll just wait until they come to town and go see a real concert. We'll have to get an old EP or something no, like that. No, maybe I some, throw some songs. No, on, uh, no, no, no. Send this, this pod out at the end. <laughs> Those recordings have been burned. <laughs> no, but... Um, Pastor Dean and the Rabbis. Oh, yeah. I wish. That'd be, like, that'd be a good like ZZ Top cover band or yeah. something. <laughs> but, um, oh, man, now I can't remember where I was going with that. But it was just like... Uh, oh, and so when I would look at Jesus, right? Yeah. He, was, he was not confined to religious spaces. He was out in the world, right? And actually doing things. Not just talking about, hey, we should go do things. Like, he was actually doing it. And getting in a lot of trouble from the religious people for doing it. And uh, there's, this, there's this great line. So one of the biographers, one of the people who wrote a story about Jesus' life, his name was Luke, and he has a book. If you're familiar with it, it's called The Gospel of Luke. But it, it really just is like a biography of the things he did. And in Luke's biography, Jesus is often going to, at, or coming from a meal, like a house party, a gathering. And so I started looking at that and then the way that the, the early, early church in like the Middle Eastern basin kind of started to develop was this fringe movement of people who got together in homes and shared meals and stories and really just like shared life 
together in an intentional way that created this profound community, which is something regardless of religion or belief or unbelief or disbelief, we, we all long for. And, and I firmly believe that we are all created for. And now, like, we're, we're kind of in this unique moment of not gathering or limited gatherings. And I think that one of the biggest losses that we've suffered is the ability to not just be together. Right. Right. And, and so we're finding ways, you know, Zoom and these digital communities, but it's not the same as like sitting at a table with someone who's like a stranger turned friend and you're, you're sharing a meal. And this is, this is what I saw Jesus doing all the time. And so when I started to imagine what a faith community would look like, I, I saw just a big table and a table of people who were kind of misfits. Right. Because I feel at times like I'm kind of a misfit, you know? The best ones usually are. Yeah. (laughs) And so so I just thought, like, what would it look like to invite people to a table rather than to a church? So we started hosting dinners in our apartment here in Steveston, and it was small, and it was, you know, we got cramped a few times and a few times like only it was like my wife and my kids and a few other people because other people like had other family dinners or you know it's been raining for two weeks straight and it's sunny night we're going out sorry um but there's this beautiful invitation to just like come and eat together and be together and then like ask questions and ask questions around the story of this Jesus character and like to look at some of the things he did and then be like why is it that like we haven't ever tried these things or done these things in our own life or in our community when the value is so evidently put on not being religious, but being engaged in your local community and being engaged with people that have nothing to offer you, but like you can maybe give them a kind word, something as simple as that, or like support them through a really tough or traumatic time, or just like honestly just see people. Right. And just acknowledge that they exist and that they have value, which can be done like to your barista or the person making your juice. Yeah. <laughs> right? I think that's something that we've totally lost, especially in this, you know, smartphone era. There's no, there's no time between, you know, like, you know, if we're waiting in line, we're holding up our phones. Right. We're not engaging with the people next to us in line or the person that we're getting our juice or coffee from. Um, you know, if we're at the doctor's office and we're waiting, we're scrolling our phone, we've kind of lost this, this space that used to exist in between things. Yeah. Um, in between words, in between activities, in between events. And I think that space was where creativity happened, where magic happened, where totally. free thought happened. And we've kind of like numbed ourselves with these devices um, that kind of now, it, t- it takes up all that time. Um, so, like, is there, is there still a space that exists in between, between spaces within this digital age, do you think? Mm. I, think they, I think they're absolutely right that we, we are losing or have lost a lot of it. Um, and I think that it's like discipline. It's discipline to get back. Just like going for a run. Yeah. Like, sometimes it's really great because it's a beautiful day and, like, you can crank out a run and it feels great. But other times... It's like the discipline of being committed to something. Yeah. And so it's rainy and it's crappy and cold in the middle of January. Yeah. But you're like, okay, no, I got to go. Yeah. I got to go do this thing so that when it is the beautiful day, like I can really go and enjoy that run. 
um, I think that for all of us, and again, regardless of, of a person's you know convictions or personal belief or whatever, we need to find ways and rhythms to connect with ourselves and connect with our spiritual sides because we all have them. We all have a spiritual side, or, or in fact, we're all very, very spiritual. It's just like what to what degree are we aware of that? Right. And to what degree do we embrace that? Right. Like I know people who are atheists that are very spiritual, right. which at first seems like an oxymoron, but yes. like it's, we're all wired to participate in this element of our lives. And just like if we don't take care of our physical health, we can make it a bunch of years before something goes wrong and we may need medical intervention. And then it's a lot more work to get ourselves healthy than if we just did like a little bit throughout the time. And so same goals I would say for our spiritual selves is like, there's the discipline of showing up, paying attention and being open to what I would say is like the wonder that is around us all the time. And for me, that's like carving out times to like, just be still and listen Right. which is an ancient practice of Christianity. Like yeah. it's one of the disciplines passed down through the tradition, which is like, you know, meditative prayer, which is now like we have apps on our phone for meditation for meditation. And it's like science is catching up to what these ancient mystics have always known. It's yeah. like, you need time to like be quiet and to just quiet your your the inner monologue that's always going right yeah and to just be still and i think that there's such a there's such a beauty in that and there's a real power in that and coming back to it it's it's like in some ways another form of rebellion to the always on always connected always searching for the next thing right to put our phones on airplane mode for 15 minutes in the morning that's a scandal like totally. that's like, what are you crazy? That's yeah. a rebellion against everything that's going on. And yet that's what we're invited to participate in is yeah. this peace and stillness. And so I try to find it every day and I'm, <laughs> it doesn't always work. Yeah. Tune but off to tune in. To, yeah. Tune off. Tur- turn off turn to off tune to in. Tune in. Yeah. So Somewhere good. Those lines. Yeah. So, okay. So a couple of things that you touched on. Um, like when I, I, I didn't grow up with like a religious upbringing. I was kind of with my parents, I kind of, my dad's Jewish, my mom had Christian upbringing, so um, I was fortunate that they kind of allowed me to dabble and explore different areas, whether it was Judaism or Christianity or Buddhism or Hinduism or or anything. They just kind of encouraged um, self-discovery and exploration. Um, But when I, something you touched on, and when I think of, you know, church growing up, um, communities kind of now become, you know, a buzzword it's you know everyone has their interpretation of community but I think kind of the the original community center community hub in a lot of ways you know dating back you know thousands of years and also to you know the last decades um, was the church you know mm-hmm. that's where you know the bake sales were and the craft fairs and you know the community dances right don't get too close. Though. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a lot of those community events that brought people together, um, whether they were, you know, faith based or not, there was a community that existed with the kind of common value of doing good. Right. And, um, you know, I think 
in a lot of ways, you know, the church was the original influencer for what a lot of businesses and individuals are trying to create with, you know, community gatherings now. Totally. They've just replaced, you know, Jesus and God with meditation or, you know, pop-up dinner or whatever, you know, like it's the same values and principles that um, the church was creating for all these years yeah. just with a modern interpretation. Right. And I would say that, you know, I, again, like not, not to be disrespectful or anything, but like the businesses that have adopted that model yeah. are at least honest about what they're selling. Yes. <laughs> Right. Where, uh, I love it. This but, is the rebel in you. I'm like, well, I'm like trying to give like the church like some props, and you're just like, no, but wait, wait, wait. <laughs> but it's like, and I'll I'll definitely give you like the origin. I think was very beautiful and pure. Right? Yeah. The risk always. Yeah. Is like you. What's you, the sale at the end? Yeah, yeah. Well, and even more so as you you begin to then self isolate so far away right. from the rest of society, which we see in like more of some of the traditional like Amish and Hutterite, yeah. you know, groups that even still that exist in in Central Canada, right? Yeah. Where they pull away because they don't really want to be part of like the world, but when there's a crisis like in their geographic community, not necessarily in their religious community, they're the first ones to show up and help. Yeah. But then they, they pull back and, and, and just circle the wagon, so to speak again. <laughs> so, but I think that the, the original design was that you're absolutely right. Like the, the church life was often center of the community's life. And it was, it was a really beautiful thing. But what began to happen is people began to, find other expressions of life that weren't connected to the church. Yeah. And then I'm not sure that in every case the church knew how to respond to that. And so there was this kind of like, all of a sudden it went from something that was really beautiful and open-handed to then trying to like hold on to the way things were. And all of us don't like change, right? And so there's this desire to keep things the way they were. And all of a sudden, it's this posture of like openness and, and welcome and facilitating space for community and people to kind of trying to hold on to it in, in ways that, well, we've always done things this way and we need to have it again. And things get solidified. Right. And then more and more space is created between the, the authentic community and then the church community itself whereas before those parameters would have been maybe more fluid and so when businesses come along and say yo this is a really good way to do community then but it's like it's really upfront you're not guessing on yeah you're like i'm okay they're they're doing this thing but they want me to buy their shoes or their product or whatever so okay but then but then you get into it and you're like oh it's actually pretty genuine like it feels really good yeah Versus as sometimes it can feel like the church is like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, come on in and it's all good. Like, just we, we want to show you this movie or we're going to have this event. But then there's always like this sneaky, oh, now that you're here, like now yeah. that we've got this captive audience. Yeah. Okay, here's all this stuff. Yeah. And like nobody signed up for that. Nobody's asking for that. I'm like, I'm here for like a dance or I'm here for a bake sale. Why are you now trying to like preach at me or... Make so, me, so it's actually not that different than the vegan agenda that I put out there to the, come have this, the, watch this documentary. Yes, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> the, the extreme, is, this makes me unpopular, but the extreme, you know, fundamentalist Christians, I look at 
more extreme vegan advocates, then I, it's the same thing. Yeah. Because you're actually just turning people off yeah. from a beautiful message yeah. and from a beautiful way of living. Yeah. Right? No harm, plant-based, respect for creation, respect for the environment. But like pouring blood on people or, you know, like fake blood, or what, like these yeah. extreme measures that we've seen like vegans take yeah. for a good cause and they're passionate, but it does way more damage than good. And then I look and I'm like, that's the same thing as like literally the guy storming the Capitol building with the Jesus saves flag. I'm like, you're doing, you're doing way more damage. Yeah. And like, oh, it's just an irony. Like that one didn't even make me mad. I literally <laughs> laughed out loud. I was like, for real? Oh, that's good. That's good. Poor Jesus. I mean, just from the last, you know, 30 minutes of conversation, it sounds like Jesus in many ways is one of the most misinterpreted, you know, people in, in history of humankind. Oh, I would think so. Which often comes when you're when you're uh, that uh, popular. Yeah, <laughs> and popular is, popular feels like the wrong word to use. But like, yeah, when you're that w- well known or yeah. this kind of like larger than life, like historical figure uh, that has such an intense and passionate following of people from all around the globe. Yeah, like you're gonna get all kinds of interpretations. Yeah, but it's sad to me that the ones that have kind of perhaps had the most influence, especially in North America, like in our situation, the ones that have had the most influence seem to have missed the mark by a long shot. I'm looking at you, America. (laughs) Sorry to any any American listeners, but like the whole, you know, God bless our nation and, you know, we're this, this whole like pious and political like mishmash. Like it just... Again, again, like if you come back to the message of Jesus and actually pay attention to what he's saying, like you, you literally can't say that. Right. Like the Lord, would you bless our troops? No, like, no. What part of love your enemy? Like, and you know, pray for those who persecute you and like, how did you miss that? It's like, no, no, I'm pretty sure he meant bomb the bad guys. It's like, no, pretty sure he didn't. Cause like. Do you remember what happened to him? He died. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't come back and like, you know, I'll be back like Terminator style. Yeah. Even again, mission of vengeance. Right. I, and again, regardless of what you believe about the story, the mystical and and literally unbelievable story of Jesus dying and coming back to life. Whatever you believe about that, the people who recorded this story, rather than saying oh, Jesus was back and he was going to like set things right. And, yeah. you know, he comes back and says, let's get him, boys, to his crew. Get Judah and his, his posse. Right? And we're going to like, we're going to go and get those like religious people and we're going to get the governor and like we're going to have an insurrection. He comes back and the first thing he says to his followers is peace. Yeah. Peace be with you. I'm back. Right? Wow. By the way, do you have anything to eat? Because <laughs> apparently, like, resurrection works up an appetite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, the first words he speaks are peace, shalom. It would have been Hebrew, shalom, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is this beautiful word, which is, like, wellness, wholeness, right? It's kind of like um, at the end of a yoga class when you say namaste. Like, it's, yeah. a, it's a greeting. It's an acknowledgement of, like, the light in me and the light in you. It's this beautiful, holistically well word that we translate in English to mean peace. But, like in the most robust sense. This is what he says after being murdered by religious people and the state. It's all good. Let's yeah. Shalom. Peace. Hello. I see you. I feel you. I acknowledge you. Right? That we're in this together. What? 
this is like the amazing. Yeah. So even after resurrection, he's he's preaching peace and unity. Um, even after, and even from honestly to to interrupt you, like again, right? The, the historical record. He's literally being tortured to death, right, on a cross, which which was like the Roman version of an electric chair, right, or lethal injection. He's literally being tortured to death, and what he says, somehow managing to speak, is forgive in a, in a prayer, forgive these people, meaning his his executioners, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So even while he's being tortured to death. He's speaking forgiveness to the people who are torturing him. If that's not a radical message of peace and like a commitment literally to death, a commitment to peace and nonviolence and forgiveness and mercy, that's mind blowing to me because I would have been like, let's get him. Get me down. Like, right. It's uh, so when I see that, I'm like, oh, there's something so compelling about that story and so much more interesting than just like. Pray this prayer and go to heaven when you die. Like yeah. that's, and what a timeless message! Like, you know, more now, now more than than ever. You know, we need forgiveness. We need unity. Yeah, we need to celebrate the things that unite us more than the things that divide us. Right. Because um, we'll find that there is more that unites us than divides us if we take a minute to talk to each other and forgive each other. Uh, and accept each other versus you know putting up these walls and these barriers of of diversion and and uh, exclusivity yeah yeah um so you know focusing on on our, our homie jesus here for a few more minutes um you know like going back to to his days um you know he wasn't a religious leader he was a spiritual leader right uh he was a, a preacher and a messenger um and I've, I've you know i've heard you speak on this that um we often get caught up in the literal nature of the Bible mm. when it's when it's actually a mystical text. Oh, yeah. Um, can you kind of just speak on Jesus and the Bible as a, you know, Jesus the mystic and the Bible as a mystical text versus something? Because it's easy to be like, you know, shake your finger and be like, no, 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 this didn't happen um, because we're trying to interpret it literally when, you know, faith is, is mystic. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh man, that's such a that's such a good question. There's there's so much around it. I look at I look at the way that the Bible has been read and perhaps misread um, by people, and it's so sad because not only does it have real world implications for for real people, that often those implications mean they are mistreated or they are seen as less than, which is ironically a fundamental error in reading to begin with. Because if you're reading this sacred text and it's making you end up at a place where you are then creating a division between yourself and another person because of whatever they are or who they are or how they are, you've missed it. You've missed the whole thing. So you need to go back and try again, (laughs) right? but yeah, I, I think that a lot of people want certainty. And we've seen, we've seen a move to that in the last 20 years, maybe more, but, uh, and it's kind of on hyperspeed, even in this last decade. People long for certainty. And as the world 
becomes more and more destabilized, which we're seeing, you know, daily at this point. Um, as the world becomes more and more destabilized, people want more and more black and white, concrete truths to hold on to. And so things like a biblical narrative, a biblical story, uh, people won't want it to be ethereal or, or mystical or mysterious. They will want to know the way that they can understand the truth when that is completely opposite to the tradition, right? There's a Jewish tradition called Midrash, which is like you take a text, you take a story from the Bible, from the, from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Bible, and these rabbis, these scholars, they would sit around and they would all agree and disagree and argue and they would, they would you know, metaphorically turn the text or, or often it's the, the language is like they'll dance with the text. And they'll look at it and they'll argue about it. And one of the lines from, you know, this idea of Midrash comes out where someone will will highlight something from the story. And, you know, one of the rabbis will say, yes, this is true. And then someone will say, ah, but what about this? And they'll highlight kind of a counterpoint to whatever it is that person just raised. And the answer is always, ah, yes, this is also true. Mm, And it's, it's, yeah, it's so much more beautiful. And, And it is more honest. Because there are like so many varying truths to these stories, right? And even if we take, for example, like the book of Genesis, the very opening story, it's written far more as like a poem or this like beautiful kind of lyrical unveiling of like, these are the origins of the world, right? These are the origins of how we understand things to be made. And what, what we should not assume in reading like this creation story is that, oh, this is literally how it happened. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if like in, in the story, there's like a talking snake. I don't know if you've ever seen one, yeah. but I haven't. <laughs> so then I immediately, my curiosity is peaked and be like, why would there be a talking snake? What does that represent? What, what might that mean? What might be the author's intention of putting that in there? of sharing that little bit of the story. To teach a lesson or a value or right. some sort of moral understanding. Yeah. Rather than, and, it's, and again, it comes back to it, it's like, okay, like in the beginning there was a snake that talked. It's like in Hinduism, you know, they've got monkey gods and cow gods and all these things, and I'm sure the billion, billions of you know, Hindu followers in the world don't, maybe some do, but most of them take them as story and they take the, the lessons and the, the values from those story and they're not... You know, thinking that literally that, you know... This is how it happened. Ganesha was our, you know... Exactly, that's how it happened. Yeah, and so we've literalized. And when I say we, I mean like mostly... History or... Evangelical North American Christianity of the last, I would say, like 50 to 100 years has really literalized these mystical texts. And another thing has happened is that people have placed the Bible, like the book, they've placed that as like the the top of the pyramid of their faith. So like you might be arguing with your cousin, you know, at dinner about any issue and they'll say, well, you know, like the Bible says it and I believe it and that settles it. Like there's this kind of really, it's like the trump card, unfortunate pun, but maybe not, maybe, maybe an appropriate pun. It's the trump card to say, well, the Bible says it. So, like, why? You just believe it. Yeah. And it's, to me, again, that's like a fundamental abuse 
of what the Bible is intended to be. And in my understanding, uh, the Bible should never be at the top of the pyramid. Jesus should be. Hmm. Because Jesus contradicts the Bible. And Jesus takes sections of the Old Testament and censors it and says, oh, you have, you have heard that it was said, or you know that it was written, referring to the sacred Hebrew scriptures. You know this because it was written here. But, he says, I tell you this. And one of the classic lines is, uh, you know that it is written, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This is the Old Testament. You know, if someone strikes your eye, you take theirs, yeah. right? And it's this, it's this, at the time, it was very progressive. Because, like, if someone, you know, killed your daughter, you would like slaughter the village. So at the time, this eye for an eye only retaliate in terms of like what was inflicted on you was a radical progression. Was progressive to what was happening. Which is crazy to think of, (laughs) but it was radically progressive given the culture, given the moment, given the time of the, of religion and how this kind of tribal groups, these tribal groups like interacted with each other in the ancient Near East. So to say at that time, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth was radical. And then Jesus comes along and says, hey, you know your sacred scriptures. You know our sacred scriptures that say this? He's like, yeah, I'm telling you now this. I'm going to give it an update. So he censors it. Yeah. So, and again, if you, if you believe that Jesus is this inspired man of God, then the Bible, the book, can't trump what he says. Right. Right. He has to be able to say, no, 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 not that. I'm giving you a new way. And so what's happened, unfortunately, is people have elevated scripture to the place where Jesus should be. So then they can say, oh, well, like we can go to war with this nation and God will be on our side. Because in the Old Testament, Israel, as, as this nation, went to war against their enemies and God was on their side. And so like we can, we can do the same. When Jesus is a man from the Middle East. Yeah. And he's saying, no, yeah, like, no, you can't. But when you have the Bible at the foundation or the center or the top of your belief, rather than what Jesus was teaching, you can do all kinds of stuff that is antithetical to what Jesus taught and instructed and invited his people to live like. And so we see it all the time in, in Canada, in America, all over where people are behaving, you know, so insanely and then holding up their Bible while they're doing it and pr- professing to be Christians because they're following the Bible. But I'm like, you're not a Christ follower if you're following the Bible. You're a Bible follower. If you're following Jesus, you would never do that thing because of what he taught. Right. Right. So other figures, other people have said, if, if some character, some person from the Old Testament can tell Jesus to sit down and be quiet, you're reading the Bible wrong. So like if Moses or, you know, David, some of these like more militaristic leaders, characters in the Old Testament, if their words and actions located in the Old Testament can trump what Jesus is saying in the New Testament, like you're, you're reading it wrong because they can't. Right. And this, is, I think, is the way that most people have misread. They read it flat. They read it as a flat book. It's all equal. And the magics and the spaces in between, just like we were kind of talking about the the pauses between activities or words, you know? Yeah. 
we kind of take these these big stories and kind of the the nuances of Jesus the person are probably in all the stories in between right the miracles and yep. all of that yeah so if Jesus was here today and we're in this moment where there's you know all sorts of clashes and you know there's obviously lots of good going on in the world but I think you know there's a lot that's not good yeah um, if if Jesus was here and you know he had the loud phone and you know the Christians of the world and the people of the world um, were showed up to listen what message would he give to the world today what values yeah um, what would he pass on that could make you know this world a better place yeah well I mean the sad reality is that we already we already have it yeah right it's there it's, it's there like he he has this it's called it's called the Sermon on the Mount, or like he just he just gave these eight virtues really of like how to live, and, and uh, central to those are mercy, justice, and like valuing other people, right? That's it's just like that's the way that he intended to invite people to live into, and then modeled that, and. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, I feel like part of my understanding of who Jesus was is like, I, I, would be, I would be hesitant to say, oh, this is what he would come and do because there's always an element of surprise. Of course. There's Jesus always a, the rebel. Yeah. There's always a way, like, he wouldn't, if, if I were to say, oh, Jesus would come and say this and then just say what I think he would say, I'm making Jesus in my image. Right. Whereas, like, I'm trying to be made more into his image. So... Like, and that's the risk that, you know, people, religious people and religious leaders have run for a long time. We just make Jesus say the things that like we would say. <laughs> so I don't want to do that because I criticize people who do that. But I feel like, I feel like he would remind us of the things that he's already said. He would remind us of the invitations he's already given us and how to live. And that we would be surprised by we would be surprised to whom he would show compassion. And we might, not love, we might not love that, that there would be compassion on perhaps both sides. If we want to be so divisive and polarizing, say there's, there's at least two sides. There's always more. But I think there would be compassion for everyone. Yeah. I think that there would be a, an invitation to everyone to be better. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's the surprise in it, is that uh, we would think it would be one-sided. Right. For sure. Jesus is a Democrat. Obviously he would live in like, you know, California and be well, vegan and well, all that. Yeah, 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 of course. Right. Yeah. But like, I, uh, I think, I think maybe, maybe that's the miracle. He would create like a third, a, a viable third party in the States at least. Oh, no, yeah. uh, in the moment, I think he would just call people back to be better versions of themselves. Yeah. And honestly, like this Sunday school or like early, you know, elementary school kind of like treat other people how you would like to be treated. Like maybe if we just started there, right? The golden rule. Treat other people the way you would like to be treated. Yeah. And if we started doing that, like I, I really believe the world would change dramatically. Of course. Literally overnight it could change. Because we all want love, we all want shelter, we yeah. all want food, we all want family and yeah and community, you know, like Yeah, we wanna be seen. We wanna have space to to be. Yeah. Right? We wanna live authentically who we are and we wanna be accepted. And I think that, like that's the invitation. That's the invitation of Jesus. It's like to to create to create that everywhere you go, right?
Simple and profound. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. S- very simple. Yeah. Very profound. Extremely hard to, to live out. Yeah. Which to me, like, there's there, that. There's something to that then. Yeah. Because if it's if it's easy, profound, and easy to do, it's probably a cheapened version. If yeah. It's like, oh shit, that's going to be hard to do. Then I'm like curious. Okay, how how then? Maybe that's worth doing. Then. Yeah. Well, I th- in going, you know, even beyond Christianity, like I, I think about a lot of the, you know, self-development or spiritual books that I've read, you know, the message is always very simple, but like you said, in truth, hard to be consistent with. Like, oh, yeah. uh, one of my favorite is the, um, the Four Agreements by Don Miguel. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, I mean, we could do a podcast just on those Four Agreements sometime, but they're like, they're so simple. Oh, yeah. It's like... Be impeccable with your word. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And then like five minutes later, I'm like, oh crap, that wasn't impeccable. Yeah. Yeah. And like not making assumptions. Yeah. Like, could you imagine like going around not making assumptions? We would, uh, if you remove that, you know, so much positivity comes from that. When I read that, I remember thinking, it's really hard to forgive people. Yeah. Like it's really hard to forgive people. And often we put ourselves in a position where we need forgiveness yes. or we need to forgive someone yeah. because we've made an assumption. Yes. And it's really easy not to make assumptions. Yeah. It's way easier not to make assumptions than it is to have yeah. to forgive someone or have to ask someone to forgive you because of an assumption. I was like, that is good wisdom, yeah. man. Avoid the hard work by just showing up and like not making assumptions. Yeah. Right. But, but we default into assumptions. Oh. Meanwhile, wars are being started over assumptions. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> crazy simplicity and and at its at its, at its best um, just thinking about the state of the world as well um, I don't want to like focus too much on the negatives but we kind of have this like pandemic of anxiety right now mm. uh, especially with you know younger generations I've you know never witnessed or experienced like so much you know collective anxiety you know in my time which is a short time. Right. Historically, obviously. Um, meanwhile, at the same time, there's like a, a, a rise, a rising tide of atheism and, and, and loss of, of faith. Mm. Do you think, um, like when I think of spirituality or God or the universe, like it's comforting. It gives you something to believe in that's bigger than yourself. Right. Uh, when it, you just believe in yourself and there's nothing beyond that, it's pretty fragile. Yeah, it can be lonely. It can be lonely. There's a lot of cracks. You know, if we, you know, forget these simple truths of, you know, treating our neighbors with how we want to be treated and not making assumptions and all these things we spoke of, you know, it can fall apart pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, but when we have, you know, a bigger faith or something beyond ourselves when you fall you're able to be picked up by that bigger belief Mm. do you do you think that this you know growing tide of anxiety and and you know this mental health crisis has any connection to um this kind of global loss of faith yeah well that's that's a good question I think yes, but there is a, there is like a hesitation because I don't want someone to hear that like going to church or joining like a religious group 
yeah. is the cure. Right. Because we know that like there are some things that can be cured simply. Yeah. And some things that can be fixed simply. And then there are other things that like need medical intervention or other dramatic. Yes. Uh, you know. It's not a black and white. Question. It's not a black. No, no, no. But I just would never want someone to be like, okay, like if I just, if I'm having a bad day, this is what I. Yeah, I can just pray, and then like all my problems will I'll, go away. Exactly, yeah. because I've been there. There's no uh, magic wand. There's no magic wand. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I love about the stories that we find in these sacred scriptures is that if we're honest with them, they're awful. Yeah, they're bloody. They are depressing. Um, they're like they're full of the worst of humanity. Yeah, <laughs> and, and there's strangely some comfort in that, in knowing that for some reason, for thousands of years, these stories have been preserved. That we might read them, revisit them, share them, gain wisdom from them, and they're not they're not victory stories. There's very few like victory laps taken in yeah. in you know in the scriptures, especially like the, the, the new Testament, right? Like Jesus himself was killed. <laughs> right. Um, so I think, spoiler. yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, there's comfort in knowing that it's not like, Oh, my life is so different than the lives of the people found in the book. Like when I look at those stories, like, man, those people are way more like fucked up than I am. Yeah. That's a mess. Like this guy murdered someone cause he wanted to like sleep with his wife. Like, and did so because he had like political power and sent the guy to the front lines of a war to get killed. Cause he was like ashamed about like what he wanted to do with the guy's wife. Like, and he, I'm like, that's twisted. And then, you know, so you see, so you see like there's all of these stories of people doing like really stupid things and like living really corrupt lives. And you look at your situation and go, there's like some identification. It's not all these perfect people. The world is messed and we're part of that, but we have an invitation to participate in like renewing it. Right. And so to me, there's hope in that. Um, I think that there is like the, the, like just the rampant anxiety and depression that's found in our culture is linked to so many things. I don't think it's fair to say one thing has like caused it, but I, I think many things have contributed. And I think that, uh, again, like in some ways the church is culpable in some of these areas because what should have been a safe place for people to come and lament, for people to come and mourn, for people to come and find comfort, for people to be accepted at their lowest and darkest moments, the church has missed the opportunity to do that. And so in some ways, like we've added to this epidemic of loneliness and isolation and self-deprecation and despair and depression because in a time when someone is most vulnerable and in their in their kind of hour of need too often the church is not the place they turn because it's not a safe place for them Hmm. and that's heartbreaking and if that's someone's story uh you need to know that as someone who represents the church, uh, I, I am deeply sorry that that's your experience um, because it shouldn't have been. And I've said that many times to many people when they said I couldn't go there or I went there and this is what happened. And it's like, wow, 
the place that's supposed to lift people up and hold space for the marginalized is like kicking people while they're down. That's awful. So again, if that's your experience or story, that should never have happened to you. And I'm very sorry that that happened. And you are right to be angry because it makes me angry. Right. So kind of speaking to that, um, what, what does forgiveness mean to you? Yeah. Uh, forgiveness is not like forgetting. We often hear those two things together, forgive and forget. Forgiveness is like learning how to practice grace. So to say to someone, not, not, it's okay, right? We often say, oh, that person did something. Oh, it's okay. It's not okay. Forgiveness is not letting people off the hook. Forgiveness is not cheap. It is costly. And usually it is the person forgiving that is paying. So I would say that it is like a, it is a spiritual practice that takes time. And if you are someone who has been forgiven for something, know that like the person that you offended, the person that you wronged, they may need to come back to you and go through the process again. And if you are truly, you know, uh, in a, in a posture of wanting to reconcile that relationship. When that person comes back, you cannot say, we already did this. Like you already forgave me because now you have like inflicted pain on top of the, the wound. Right. You need to just go through the process again. So forgiveness is often a process that needs to be repeated. It's not a one and done transaction. It's part of being in relationship. And so I think it can be one of the hardest things we ever have to do but I have not met a single person who has forgiven much or who has been forgiven much who would, who would go back, who would wished, regretted going through the process of forgiving. They've, it's been painful. Uh, it's, it's oftentimes very, very long, uh, but it is never regretted. I have never once met someone who said, I regret that I forgave that person. But on the flip side, I have met a handful of people, more than, well, more than a handful. I've met a number, yeah, who, you know, missed opportunities. And then, you know, someone moved away or, you know, died or whatever. And that opportunity was even harder or certainly lost kind of altogether. Who deeply regret not taking the opportunity to do the hard work and forgive and forgiving. Hmm. And I think that just like, you know, we know now stress is linked to what does the Lululemon bag say? 99.9% of all illness, right? Stress is a huge correlated link to our, our dis-ease in our physical bodies. I would say the same, the same way when we carry unforgiveness when we harbor resentment or anger or hatred towards someone because of something they did that was awful to us we are re-inflicting wounds within ourselves that are will manifest in different ways physical ailments or you know uh, just like a sick overall body 
when we harbor those things and don't do the hard work of forgiveness, it manifests itself in, in really unfortunate ways. And so it's not only, it's not only good for you at like an emotional, spiritual level, physically. And I've seen it. I've, I've been in the room where, you know, forgiveness of a, of a trauma has, has taken place between two people and physically you can see them. They change, their body changes. It's like we say, oh, it feels like a weight is lifted off my shoulders. Because it has. Because we're carrying something and it weighs us down and physically it makes us feel bleh. And when we, when we get rid of that, it does something to us. And there is no weight on our shoulders and yet we, yeah. we feel it. Feel the burden. And... The burden is lifted. And so, yeah, I would say that it's very hard, but it's, it's, it's critical. It's critical to being a, a holistically well person. But it is very hard. Yes. That's the, I think the, the moral of the, this pod is, you know, simple truths that are hard to practice. <laughs> yeah. Um, what does love mean to you? Oh, man. That's, to me, that's the foundation of everything. Love is, it's the one thing that we all should be pursuing and I'm not talking about like romantic love. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I love love. <laughs> but in... Shout out to our wives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. I should also say I love my wife. <laughs> uh, she'll never listen to this. <laughs> um, I think it's the foundational flow of everything. I think that the terms God and love are interchangeable. I think that... Uh, Jesus himself incarnating, coming to be a, a human person and loving radically the way he did. People who were, quote unquote, unlovable uh, was, a, was a physical manifestation of what the universe has been up to the entire 13.8 billion years that it's been in existence. And uh, I feel like when we look at things like quantum physics, mm -hmm. which I'm very interested in, we see a, a relationship between particles and atoms that looks a lot like love. So it's baked into the core of our tiniest known elements, right? Even subatomic particles bind together in, in likeness and create something new. And it looks kind of like what happens when people are in love and they come together and create something new. And I'm not just talking about birth, yeah. but we know that if you've ever been in love, something is created, something mystical and magical is created between two people and it makes something new. And so when we see this at the smallest parts of our universe, to me, it shows that love, this, this, this longing to connect and create and be generative this is the whole point. This is the whole flow. And to go against love is literally to go against the flow of the entire universe. So just chillax and go <laughs> with the flow, my friends. That's, I yeah. Lo I love that. <laughs> yeah, I love your love. Yeah, love. <laughs> love, love. Um, along those lines, um, what does Christ consciousness mean to you? Mm. Yeah, I think that's something that uh, maybe a lot of times gets 
in the Christian community, like people are like, wait, what? All of a sudden it sounds like new age or spooky. Yes. To me, it simply means like, uh, it's a, it's a very old and orthodox way of saying like to have the mind of Christ, which we often think like Jesus Christ. We think that that is like his last name, yeah. which it's not. It's a, it's a, it's a title right. that means like, it's like a universal title. Um, so one of my favorite theologians is a Catholic, his name is Richard Rohr. He says, when you, when you say or affirm, like, I believe in Jesus Christ, you're making two claims. One is about the person, who, the historical figure, and the other is this claim or this affirmation of the Christ, this kind of cosmic figure, which would be love or God, d- divine, depending whatever word you want to substitute in there but that it's this cosmic um, reality that we all exist in. So to have this Christ consciousness or to have the mind of Christ is immediately unifying because it's something that is not individual, but it's cosmic. It's everywhere. It's, it's for all of us. And so right away, it's unity. It's love. It's having this mind of seeing and valuing the other right? Comes back to the simple and yet difficult truth of like, treat other people how you would like to be treated. It's having this awareness that there is immense potential loaded into every moment of every day. If we would just slow down and pay attention and be open to it, that every moment is just dripping with possibility for, uh, amazing interaction and encounter, uh, and requires our participation. Yeah, we were talking about that the other day on one of our runs, like how there's coincidence everywhere. Mm. And if we pay attention to these coincidences, that there's lessons to be learned or shared or, you know, there's these meaningful crossings of, you know, people and, and places that hold so much, you know, hold so much meaning and so, and so many lessons to be passed, but we're, we've lost awareness of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're no longer paying attention to coincidence as a, as a, as a learning tool right. versus now it's just like, Oh, you know, I see that guy all the time or, or we're just not tuned in at all. Right. Yeah. Um, and we don't interact the same way either. No. We used to just like talk to people. We put, I mean, we are in a COVID pandemic, but we've, we've put up these, you know, pandemic aside, we put up these barriers around yeah. ourselves where we don't let, you know, the other in. Yeah. Whether the others, you know, the person next to you or, totally. you know, whoever it might be. Well, and I wonder like, you know, when you, when you think of the, the, phys- the real physical barriers between people now, yeah. right? these plexiglass things and masks and, you know, we're, we're staying, we're, we, we have to stay apart from each other. Yeah. I wonder like if this part of the pandemic will cure us of the disease we had of not noticing each other mm. because when all of the barriers, the physical, real, literal barriers come down between us, we'll be seeing each other for the first time again. It might, it might be that we have this renewed sense of how important it is to notice and be with people and yeah. to be crowded and to be on a subway together or, yeah. you know, to, yeah, to talk to someone that you haven't talked to ever in your life simply because they're a stranger in front of you. Yeah. Right. I wonder if, if the forced reality of distance between us is going to cure us of the distance between us. Right. I hope, I honestly hope. Cause right now there's this fear of connection, but connection is, 
you know, very healing. And it's what we need. It's what we need. It's community. Yeah. It's, it's being in community. I love it. Um, okay. A couple, couple, you know, quick questions and then we can wrap things up and go for a run. Let's do it. <laughs> um, how did, um, Jesus and the Bible indirectly lead you to living a plant-based lifestyle? Ooh, good question. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> like I have to touch on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise we can save it for another pun. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. Uh, it's, it's actually wonderful. So it must've been three years ago now because it's yeah. January. So I started in January. So three years ago, part of this master's program I was in, um, one of our profs invited us to like go back and read uh, a portion of scripture and the goal of the exercise was try to read it like you've never read it before. Like it's the first time ever reading it. What would the questions you have from it? What would, what are the things that like stand out to you as like curious or strange? So it was really trying to come with like a beginner's mind to it, right? Which is probably the best way we should always approach familiar situations and texts. How can I come to this? Like it's the first time because then you're going to see something new. So this was the point of the exercise. And it was a new year, and I had, in December, decided, okay, I'm going to try to, like, eat less meat. Yeah. And then I'm kind of an all-or-nothing character. <laughs> no way. So, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, if I do something, it's like whole hog yeah. <laughs> or, or whole banana tree. I don't know. Yeah. Just like the vegan version of whole hog. Yeah. But uh, so I, I just, we had taken an ethics course, and I began to peer behind the curtain of like the food industry, which is like, I already knew that I was participating in something that was just awful, but like, I didn't want to know. And just like, give me the Whopper. Right. But then, so I was reading this thing and kind of newly experimenting with, with being, um, a vegetarian really, uh, at the time. So I started reading the, the origin story, the Genesis story, because I thought it's a new year, it's January, start at the beginning seems like a good place. So I'd read this story tons and tons of times before and something really jumped off the page to me uh, towards the end of the first chapter of Genesis. It's where God is giving us, you know, this poetic or the narrator is giving us this poetic story of how God ordained things or orchestrated things to be in the world. So there's this beautiful creation of, you know, the earth and the naming of things like day and night. And here's the, the, the waters and here's the earth. And then there's plants coming up from the ground. And, and then God makes people, man and woman in, in our likeness. God uses the plural. It's very interesting for a faith that's monotheistic, meaning one God. The, the Hebrew language is plural. Elohim, let us make God in our image is the translation, which is maybe another podcast. But so anyway, male and female, both in the image of God, right? God is not a white man. With a big white beard. God is probably not a man, right? Yeah. I try not to refer to God as he. And if I do, I, in the next sentence, the pronoun I use will be she to keep it balanced because that's just, it's reality. God is not one gender or the other. God is both and none all at the same time. It's own category. So anyway, all that to say, got to the end of this, male and female, women and men, people are created. And God says to them, I've given you every tree, every plant, every seed bearing fruit for food, period. The next sentence is, and to the animals, because the animals had been created. To the animals, I give you, you know, the grass of the ground and the whatever hay of the field to eat for food, period. And God saw 
all that he had made, she had made, and she knew that it was good. And she said, this is very good and rested. And that was it. And so I, I was reading that and I was like, wait a second. There's an explicit statement here that says plants are food. I've given you every seed and tree and plant bearing fruit for food. And to the animals, I was like, yeah, and eat those too. To the animals, here's what I've given you for food. And it wasn't, animals were never uh, intended, so it would seem, to be used as food. They were part of the whole creation, part of the whole ecosystem. But their existence wasn't, at least it wasn't chiefly explicitly stated. It wasn't for our consumption. Plants were. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you look at like science and all of this modern technology that we have that verifies this ancient wisdom statement of plants are for food. And these scientists go and like, look at the teeth that people have. These are not, these are not teeth for eating meat. Look at the intestinal tract of humans. This is not necessarily designed to like process heavy, like raw meat that you would eat if you like slaughtered an animal or, or meat in general. It's like a long intestinal tract, which is like all the other herbivores that we see. Flat teeth used for smashing plants, long intestinal tract used for like digesting these fibrous foods. And then, you know, again, like looking at science and seeing how people have been studying, especially lately, but like the effects of plant-based nutrition on people who are you know, healthy, sick, whatever, and seeing that our bodies respond best when we're on a plant-based diet. I was like, huh, turns out there might be something to this ancient wisdom of like, yo, eat the plants. I made them for you. Amazing. Right? And then, and then so in that moment, I was like, oh my goodness. And I remember it because I was sitting, I was literally sitting in the juice truck, having a smoothie, like reading this, doing this like work. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe it. And you were the first person I thought of, like, I got to tell Zach this. I heard Zach with you on this. I was like, yes. Yeah. As soon but, as you said that to him, I'm like, Dean, Dean's a vegan now. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then to your other point of the question, so not just that little story, but to the other point, because it's very clear in the Bible, like, people ate meat yeah. and people participated, but it was often like, you know, when we think of our time versus the time that Two, the Bible was recorded. 2,000 years have passed. And, the world's changed. Oh, yeah. And that people would have like a very small, maybe herd of sheep or goats or whatever they would have. And to sacrifice one of those animals from the herd, it literally was a huge sacrifice because yeah. they're worth way more alive than they are in your belly. Right. Because you can only eat them once. Yeah. But in terms of like clearing land and you know, amassing wealth, which was part of it. It's like, look how many goats I have. Right. Like, if you eat them all, you have less wealth. Like, the perceived that, value is that not... Is their currency. Right. It's not in eating them. It's in, it's in having them. Yeah. And so, you know, when we think of, oh, well, like, you know, there's all these festivals and they would eat meat. And it's like, yeah, but like maybe once a year. Yeah. Maybe once a year they would like have some meat. Mm -hmm. And in, in the Hebrew tradition, like there was definitely animal sacrifice yeah. where, you know, there's, you can read about it. Like there's long detailed accounts of how you're supposed to sacrifice and which animals you're supposed to sacrifice. But the interesting thing is like, that was all human made. Right. Like God never asked for sacrifice. God never asked people to bring animals to slaughter. 
This was a human invention and eventually like God participated and allowed it in a way that was like, ugh, okay, but I'm going to bring you forward somewhere. And then not long after these rules were kind of instituted on how to do it, these people started showing up, these prophets, and they started speaking and saying, God doesn't want sacrifice. Mm -hmm. God wants mercy and justice. A million and one burnt animals isn't going to make up for you mistreating your neighbor. (laughs) What God wants is you to treat your neighbor well and stop burning all these animals. And so the prophets keep ramping up. And then Jesus comes along and says, I am like the ultimate sacrifice. Okay, enough already. I'm going to like show you how to live this way. It's probably not going to go super well for me. (laughs) And then we can be done with the whole system and just carry on living how I am inviting you to. So it's interesting that like, you know, while there is animal sacrifice, while you can't say the Bible doesn't say don't eat meat, if you, you can at, read between the lines, be yeah. like, it was never the intention. And then I just asked myself the question too, right? Because the Bible doesn't get to trump what Jesus says or how he lives. And his whole message is mercy and justice and fairness and equity and compassion, compassion and ultimately like caring for this creation that that he was part of and gave us and belongs to, that anything that goes against those things, I am confident to say he would not participate in. So if Jesus were to show up today, would he go and eat like a nice steak down at Gotham? Probably not, because it's participating in a system that leads to impression, that, uh, oppression of people, that leads to cruelty uh, to animals, that leads to environmental degradation. When there's plenty of opportunities to, you know, walk a little bit further north and like rock up and have some falafel and like Najib's at Nuba, right? <laughs> or go to the juice truck and have a macro bowl and yeah. like a green juice. Like th- these are the th- choices I think that Christ would make simply out of compassion for humanity and the planet and of course animals. And so with those, that kind of logic, I was like, oh, oh yeah, this is like, I should be participating in this. And then in all other aspects of my life, trying to be like a justice-oriented person, an environmentally-minded oriented person, and then having all of this meat on my plate, I was like, this doesn't really, this isn't consistent with how I'm trying to live, so I think I need to make the change. And it's been like three years strong. Yeah, and there's been, you know, we could go on this forever because we like to talk about plant-based living and running but uh, like even in your running like you've you've noticed we've talked about how like your recovery is better and oh yeah like your your change that you've made in nutrition from a value standpoint has affected your well-being and your health and totally which trickles down to everything yeah yeah and I remember saying to my wife I was like you know eliminating some things from the diet that weren't weren't working for me anyway and then getting on a way more healthy, right? Cause you're just eating more plants, yeah. right? Shout out to Desiree, <laughs> eat yeah. more plants. But like, you're just eating in a way healthier way. I remember saying to her like, oh, it feels so good to feel this good. Feels good to feel good. Right? And it's like, I, like, I just want that for my friends and people that I know to be like, no, just try it and like give it time and, you know, just see how you feel. And you, you like all of a sudden you don't miss the burgers and stuff that much. Cause like you just feel so good. Yeah. You, Nothing, get, you no, get hooked on feeling good. Yeah. And forget about the rest. Oh yeah. And it's not like it's some, some loss to eat 
plant-based food. Like I eat way more delicious and diverse things now. Yeah. Like our weekly meal prep, we're eating crazy stuff all the time that normally you'd be like, I don't know, spaghetti meatballs, okay, yeah. pork chops the next night, chicken breast and right. Like it's like you're eating the same kind of. It's kind of the, the, the standard American diet was like, you know, chicken, steak, fish. Yeah. So you have like three food groups. Yeah. Whereas the plant-based, you know, there's like one million plants, one million spices, you know, it's like yeah. for anyone that thinks being plant-based is boring. Oh, yeah. Like, like there's it, nothing to eat. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, and like, what do you, what do you spice, what do you flavor meat with? Plants. Totally. So you're like, basically all the flavors are, that you used to love are, yeah. are there because, you know, the flavors you were loving were plants in the first place. That's right. Nobody, like, very, well, very few people just eat meat for the taste of the meat. Yeah. Like it's barbecue sauce. It's these spices, these flavors. Like that's what we're designed. Like, I mean, that's my, that's my bias to say we're, we're created. We're designed to eat and enjoy these things. Whereas like when people see, you know, like a banana stand on the side of the road, they're like, Ooh, bananas. I can, I can have one of those. But if people see like, you know, unfortunately like, an animal yeah. that was hit by a car okay. on the side of the road. It's like, we like look away because yeah. it's, it's awful. You're not appetized. <laughs> You're not appetized by an yeah. image like that. So like, to me, that also says something like this, this, this innate desire of like what, what makes our mouths water versus what kind of turns us off is like, well, that's kind of an indication yeah. too, isn't it? Like, or, one, that, or that you wouldn't show your kids where, an animal gets slaughtered, but you'd be happy to take them to go pick strawberries. Yeah, know? yeah. And it's like this beautiful event that like we Instagram because look at nature. Yeah. Right? Wow. I'm so amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Parent of the year. Once a year. Uh, okay. <laughs> a few things to um, to kind of wrap things up here. Um, if people are jammed with your message, which I think they should too, because there's, you know, so many universal truths that you just shared. Um you know, I know we've talked about Rob Bell before. Right. Are there other, can you just share a few, you know, um, spiritual leaders, influences of yourself that people can turn to if they want to, you know, other than obviously following yourself. Right. Um, some other people and influences that people can tune into um, to, you know, walk this path as well. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. So you mentioned Rob Bell. Uh, very accessible. He's got a podcast, The Rob Cast, and a bunch of books. Uh, great place to start. Great, great teacher. Really funny guy. Huge inspiration to me. Um, and in some ways, like, validated a lot of the things that I always wondered about. And when I read a few of his books back when I was going to university, I was like, oh, I didn't know that other people thought this way. And that like, they wrote books about them. So he's a, he's a big one. Uh, another, another person coming out of... Um, Kansas actually kind of getting down close to the Bible Belt in America is a guy named Brian Zond who's very uh, very like I don't want to say like anti-American because that's like the wrong vibe Uh, but he's very like anti-American evangelical Christianity and like political marriage so he's a good guy to follow and has some amazing books Um, a little bit older um, but is like I really, really tracked with him and that his, his voice uh, saved me in a lot of ways from being like, okay, the, the Christianity I see 
on like the American news is not, is not actually Christianity. Right. And he's someone who would like rail against that in his messages. Like this is American civil religion. This is not people following Jesus. So he's a good one. Brian Zond. Um, another, another person that I really, really like is a Catholic theologian. I mentioned him earlier, father Richard Rohr. Okay. Uh, amazing books. He's got some good like YouTube videos. He does a ton of stuff on the Enneagram too, which if you haven't explored the Enneagram, it's like a personality, spirituality, kind of like a um, typology test. So it's fun if you're into like Myers-Briggs and that kind of stuff, you can do your, your, your Enneagram number. It's got some like mystic origins for like ancient Christianity and even like Sufism. So there's some like really cool overlaps there. And it's like, it's, it's shockingly accurate, I've found. Uh, so if yeah, Richard Rohr, uh, that's a good place to start. It's just like his work on the Enneagram or a book that I would really recommend is, uh, if you're interested in like Christianity specifically would be the cosmic Christ. Um, it's one of his most recent, uh, or the divine dance. That book is beautiful. So check those out if you're, if you're tracking that kind of stuff. Um, who else? Oh, uh, another person that I really dig is Nadia Boltzweber. Oh, is she? She's on. on she's been on Rich Roll she's podcast Rich Roll, yeah. and Dax Shepard. Yeah, um, she's she, cool. She is like, man. You guys would would have some good dynamic yeah. conversations together. Oh, yeah. If you think I'm like out there in terms of like on the fringe, <laughs> like she makes me look like the most conservative little. <laughs> Choir boy. Church boy over here. Oh, man. But she is, she's good. She's very, 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 very provocative uh, in the best way. I just adore her. I think she's brilliant. And she is um, she pushes the buttons of established religion, which I think is absolutely necessary. Um, I've learned a lot from her and tracked with her a ton in kind of reimagining what, what faith can look like and how it should be. So, yeah. She's got a great just short video. If you Google Nadia Boltz, B-O-L-Z, Weber and the Nantucket Project. She has a, a, a video there where she talks about an experience she had interviewing Lance Armstrong. Oh my god! And it is it's it's fucking hilarious. She's uh-huh. so good. I'll have to watch. Yeah, that. it's 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 worth like I think it's like ten or twelve minutes or something like that. It's worth checking out because I was just like laughing so hard, and then by the end of it, literally, I was like in my living room just bawling because she just she's so articulate and just nails like names a lot of things and nails it. And I was like, yes. Go, Nadia. So that would be my recommendations. And then, yeah. Okay. um, To kind of land this this ship. And obviously, you know, we'll be back together on the next podcast. That's right. Pretty much everyone after that. (laughs) So there'll be more of this. Uh, So hopefully you've enjoyed uh, this conversation. Yeah. Um, Kind of staying on the theme of this podcast. And there's so many areas of your life that we haven't explored. We've kind of like dialed in onto this faith side. So we'll explore the many sides of Dean in future pods but um, to kind of wrap things up uh, with one kind of final question um, can you speak to the power of prayer and can you end this podcast with a little prayer you know that people can take home with them yeah a little prayer for the world for sure yeah that'd be awesome Um, I think like so many things, the power is often, the power of prayer is often in the mystery of it because any honest religious person would tell you 
we don't, you don't really know how it works. It's mysterious. Because sometimes it seems like it works. And other times it seems like it doesn't work. And there's all kinds of like Christian-y cliches and tropes about unanswered prayers and blah, 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 and all this stuff that like when you're a person in pain or uh, in desperation, that doesn't help you. But to me, there is some profound power in the mystery of want, yearning to connect uh, to the divine through this medium or this method of prayer. And it looks very different for each person in the world. It's going to look different. Um, a lot of times it looks like a list where you, you bring out all of your requests, yeah. right? I want this, and can you do this? And would you just orchestrate this for me? And Basically Santa Claus. Right, yeah. <laughs> or like the vending machine prayer. Like if I come and like, you know, do these things, and I'm like a good little boy, and I don't, you know, I, I abstain from all the bad things, and I participate in all the good things, then it's like I've earned enough chips to like put one in the prayer machine, and like you owe me. And so there's this like wrong understanding that somehow we can approach the divine with like an expectation of we're owed something other than just simply our existence here. So, I mean, yeah, prayer is, is enormous in, in its capacity. Uh, I think it's very important to participate in some form of it. Because it makes, it makes us aware that there's more than just us. And my favorite method of praying actually is more listening than saying things. Because to listen uh, puts me in a posture of openness. It puts me in a posture of receiving. Uh, it makes me aware of the things that kind of bubble up unconsciously. And I can note those things, like I can pay attention about what's coming up the most. And maybe that's an indication of someone or something I need to address in my life um, because they're right at the surface when I start to quiet, you know, the reptilian brain that's just spinning around in there and I make space for what's underneath. Uh, so it, it, it's a moment of intuitive awareness to myself and to others. And in times of this kind of like quiet and listening prayer, uh, this sounds maybe like mystical, but time ceases to exist in a number of ways. I can be sitting and listening for five minutes and it can feel like an hour. I can be sitting quietly for 20 to 30 minutes and it feels like a minute has passed. So time strangely feels irrelevant. And equally so to that point is uh, redemption of things in the past. And anxieties or hopes for things in the future are all present with me in, in that moment of, of kind of conscious awareness. And so it feels like it's an escape from the construct of time to be in this moment of prayer, which is really cool and quite beautiful. And that I can allow things from my past not to consume me with, with you know, like you can't change them but you can go back and see where maybe there's redemption or, or there was grace that I might have missed in those moments that caused me pain or hardship that might, in the present, in the reality of, of my life now, might lead me to be more gracious or more forgiving to someone from my past. Um, and equally in the future, 
right? You, you look ahead and you think about what's to come and we can stress about it because it's unknown, but to project into the future uh, what I would like to see, peace and love and more of this shalom, this wholeness in my life and in my community, right? Where do I bring it in the streets that I walk, the people that I, I engage with? So prayer is, is really um, big for me in that way. And it's not just, okay, God, here's the things I want you to do for me. Uh, amen. It just, that just feels so cheap because mm-hmm. more it's like, what could I do in the world on behalf of God? And if I'm acting on behalf of God, I, I better sort myself out a little bit first before I just go out and, and do what I want to do, you know? So yeah, that's kind of where that's, that's my, that's my maybe takeaway of like what prayer is for me in this moment, my current understanding to date of prayer. I like that. I think, um, like just breaking down everything like we have, you know, prayer can be much like meditation versus versus a request list. Like you, you mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, to, to take us out, you comfortable to do. Yeah, like a, for sure. You know, a quick uh, oh, and prayer not, for the people of the world. I won't just listen. Yeah, yeah that would be awkward. I'd be like, what's he thinking about? Yeah, just like nothing. I'm just trying to get in my nothing box. But yeah, no, I'd, lo- I'd love to. Like uh, maybe more of a, a prayer can be loaded for people. So before you turn off uh, the podcast here, uh, maybe maybe like a, uh, it would be more of a reflection, a hope, and a blessing wrapped up if that's safer if that if that makes more sense to you a reflection and some hope and a blessing is is what will give us uh to go at the end so again there's nothing nothing will happen to you if you're not someone who prays um and you don't have to close your eyes or bow your head or any of that weird stuff you can simply just like keep drinking your coffee or like being on your run because the spiritual happens in the routines of every day and everything is sacred there's not separate spaces where we all of a sudden they're like, now we're in the presence of whatever, divine. It's everywhere. It's in us. It's through us. So just no pretense uh, other than just, I hope that uh, this, this resonates with you. Eternal one in whom we are all connected and in whom we all have beginnings, middles, and ends. In whatever way we may understand or not understand who you are or who you might be, we can see in the world and in one another ways that this divine spirit of love, of radical grace and generosity is at work. And we can recognize that that is beautiful and good. And we can see ways in which we as people have maybe worked against that spirit of love, radical inclusion and generosity and peace in the world by selfishly grabbing for things that would lift us up at the expense of others, by choosing to hurt rather than to love, by choosing aggression over peace, by choosing what's good for us and our desires over what's good for the world and our neighbor. And when we do that, and when we see that, we know that it is not ultimately good or love. So help us to discern between not just right and wrong, 
but love and justice and mercy and the things that would lead us in the direction opposite to those things. Give us a wisdom to see beyond ourselves. And in whatever way, we might be agents of peace and reconciliation in our own lives, in our own communities, and ultimately in our world. May we call on you, Divine Spirit, God, loving force in the world. May we call on you to fill us with more love and mercy and goodness than we had the day before. Not so that we're better than anyone else, but so that we can be a better version of ourselves, even if just by a little bit every single day. May it be so, Eternal One. Amen. You pastor team. Yeah, you got it. That was beautiful. I'll listen to that on repeat so I can be a better version of myself you every, know, every single day, just even if it's bit. just by a little bit. Right. Well, thank you for for joining in this conversation and for holding space and for, you know, continually elevating community and those around you. Yeah. Um, I'm grateful to, to share this space with you and uh, grateful to share community with you. <laughs> Likewise. And, and this podcast. Boom. It's going to be, yeah. No, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to share in this way. So. All right. If uh, people don't know already, um, where can they where where can they follow you? Yeah, uh, you can find me on the Instagram at Diener. So nice and nice and simple. Um, we also I also have an Instagram account for our little crew that that well up until pandemic we were meeting around tables. We met in my apartment. We met at Milltown Bar upstairs. Shout out to uh, Patty and Scotty for hooking us up with the space, and then uh, hopefully soon we'll be meeting here in Stevenson again. Um, but check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Reunion Richmond. Nice. So, and then uh, when, when it's all when it's all said and done, maybe we can share share a, a drink and a, a meal together and chat more. But yeah, perfect. Feel free to drop a note anytime. I'd love to chat. All right. Shalom. Shalom. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.